thank you for listening to this Calvary Aurora Bible study with Pastor Ed Taylor. We pray as you study through God's Word that you're blessed by God's abounding grace. Amen. Take your Bibles, open them to Acts, the book of Acts in the New Testament. Acts chapter 13, as we're going to take a few studies. Now remember, next week is our water baptism. And then we'll finish this Acts 13 message the following week. And then Pastor Aaron's going to lead us uh, in a Bible study the last weekend or the last Wednesday of, of March for our missions month. So you have Pastor JJ, then I get to do one, then we have a water baptism, then I'm going to teach another one on missions, and then uh, Pastor Aaron and his wife Michelle were missionaries for, for a few years in the Philippines, and he's going to share his heart with us and, and really see what angles God has for us when it comes to mission. And, and the, the thing that we need to understand from the char- character of God is simply this. Write this down. God is a missionary God. Everything that God does and has done has been to reach people. First, he had such a sweet relationship with Adam and Eve. And and he entered into their lives and entered into their... The the Bible says that they had sweet counsel. They, They enjoyed the coolness of the garden with him, which literally means they had a relationship with him. And then after the fall, after sin was entered in, we find God over and over again, going after the lost, going because everyone's lost after that. Everyone's separated from God because of sin. And God is a missionary God. His heart is outreach. Now, while some believe that God is distant and uninterested, the Bible reveals just the opposite. We see it in the Garden of Eden. We see it with Abram as he's called to leave home to a place that he'd be shown. We, we see the purpose of even Abraham that through the, the God goes after Abraham, calls him out of his land, sends him to a land. He's going to show him why. Because the Bible says that God is going to bless the nations through Abraham's obedience. And in God's mind, he could already see Messiah coming to save the world. Jesus himself, could, you could say in a very real way, was a missionary on a mission to reach the lost. There's even, there's a, it's, a, it's a little discouraging, the church world, because the church world's into all sorts of things and all sorts of polls, and some of them are good. I'm not opposed to them, but there's a new movement right now that they want to get rid of the word missionary. They, they don't want to use that word anymore, and I don't even remember. I, I stopped, I was, I was kind of frustrated reading that article, so I didn't finish it. And so I don't actually remember what words they want to use now. Um, in one sense, I have to say, I don't really care what word you use. Just do it. It doesn't really matter to me how you label the activity of expressing the agape love through your life to someone that's lost, to anyone that's lost. But the idea of going, getting rid of the word missionary takes away the root of that word. And the root of that word is mission. Someone that's on a mission. Or we could even say someone that is on mission. If we use that definition, then we are all missionaries on mission with Jesus. We all are on his mission. Well, I I should say this. We We should be all on his mission. Sometimes we have different agendas and we get off on our own thing, but... Jesus' mission, let me show you something before, hold your place in Acts 13, we'll get there eventually. So let me show you, let me lay a foundation. Luke chapter 4, verse 16. Luke chapter 4, verse 16. Maybe you're uncomfortable with hearing, well, Jesus is a missionary. What do you mean by that? Well, well let's see what his mission was, and, and let's, let's go back from there and see if you don't agree with me after the fact. I mean, if Jesus is a missionary, what was his mission? What was his mission? Notice with me, Luke chapter 4, pick up with me in verse 16, a very familiar passage, but Jesus tells us why he came. He tells us what mission he was on. He comes into Nazareth and where he had been brought up, and as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read, and he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah, and when he opened the book, he found the place where it was written, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, 
to preach deliverance to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. Then he closed the book, gave it back to the attendant, sat down, the eyes of all who were there in the synagogue were fixed on him, and he began to say to them, Today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. What did he come to do? He came to preach. It says it in verse 18. It says it later in verse 18, and it says in verse 19, he came to preach, he came to proclaim, he came to set the captives free, he came to heal the brokenhearted, to heal the sick, to demonstrate the agape love of the Father. That was his mission. And if you carefully examine his life, that was the will of the Father, and that's what he did. In a very real way, Jesus, fully God and fully man, didn't mess around. This is what he did. He preached and he loved and he served and that's what we see unfolding through his life. God the Father is missions minded. Jesus the Son is missions minded. And the Holy Spirit is missions minded. Their whole mission, you know, for you, for those of you that have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you could say, uh, you could put right up on your mirror in the morning when, uh, when, when you wake up, mission accomplished. <laughs> right? Because you were saved. Your, your sins were forgiven. But then on the bottom of the mirror, you could say, no, mission's still not accomplished because there's a lot of lost and dying people in our lives. Friends, family, coworkers, strangers, acquaintances. I mean, there's a lot of lost people. And, and for us, the, the quicker we can be in quicker we can be in tune with the Holy Spirit and confident in the fact, like Paul said, when Paul said in Romans chapter one, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus. I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God unto salvation for all that believe, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. And what is it that might be holding you back today is that you're just ashamed of the gospel or embarrassed to talk about the things of God in your life or uninterested. You have to ask yourself, are you just a cultural Christian? Is that just are, you just, are you just a Christian for the sake of the culture because you, you on the scale of one way or the other, you just kind of, your scale kind of tips more morality, you're much more conservative in your thinking, you're conservative in your political views, you're more conservative in how you view morality, so then that spills over and now you're just, you're kind of more of a conservative person and Christianity kind of lines up with, and, and is that it to you? Is you just want to identify like, I'm conservative in my politics, I'm conservative in my morality, and I'm also conservative conservative in my Christianity. Why don't we identify ourselves by passionate and unashamed about the gospel of Jesus Christ and be men and women on mission with Jesus? That's really the essence of it. Why is it so silent in here? Why is it so uncomfortable in here? Is the Holy Spirit really speaking about the, the reality of cultural, the cultural emphasis in your own life that when you think of missions, it's fun to have the flags and it's fun to watch the videos, but you're still disinterested. And it's one thing to pray for the truths in Ireland, but it's a whole other thing to share the gospel with your neighbor. They're just as lost as the people in Cork. Like, in order for you and I to be saved, people have lost their lives, literally, for you and me, generationally. In order for us to be saved, men and women, they prayed unceasingly for you and me. In order for us to be able to share the gospel with your kids and with your grandkids and with your cousins and all your nieces and nephews, like lives and blood has been spilled, most importantly, the blood of Jesus Christ. And, and there's just something missing in our hearts. There's something missing in the broader church of Jesus Christ today where everybody's all interested in what this doctrine, you know, they're arguing about secondary things and you've got to believe this. And you got, Listen, why don't you just share the gospel with somebody and stop arguing? Why don't you try that and tell me how you goes? Tell me how your neighbor's doing. Tell me how your neighbor's doing as, as they just lost a loved one and instead of arguing about some secondary thing, the Lord, you obeyed the Lord and you went next door to check on your neighbor. Just in the love of Jesus. You know, you weren't going over there, okay, Pastor Ed said I'm going to save my neighborhood, so I'm going to go next door and say, you rotten sinner, how dare you? And, and instead of just like, Lord, Lord, what has happened to me that I don't care about my neighbor or my friend? Because it's real simple, isn't it? If you, if you ask Jesus, what's so important, Jesus? 
If we had the opportunity to ask him in person today, what, what's so important? How do I, how do I please God? How do I, how, how do I, how do I follow the book, Jesus? How do I follow the book? It's hard to understand sometimes. How do I follow the book so that God's pleased with me and so that, that I'm doing what I need to be doing in my short life because I'm going to die soon and we all have just a few years on this earth and we don't know when it's going to end. Jesus, Jesus, how? How? What am I supposed to do to keep the law? Well, you know, that question was asked of him. They, they asked. Somebody came to him and asked him, how do I do that? And what was his answer? Love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, and mind and then love your neighbor as yourself. And that's how the law is all summed up. Be men and women of love. And that, there's something about love that, that radically connects with people because they don't know how to explain it because it's otherworldly and it captures hearts. It, it, when we come to Acts 13, there's something about the early church that, that I pray for in my own heart when I see myself navigating into cultural things or into rigid, rigidity or when I find myself getting lazy or uninterested in the gospel or whatever it might be in my humanity, getting caught up in worldly things, whatever it might be, it doesn't really matter. I see something, that I, I see something in the book of Acts that, that intrigues me, that I ask God, I want to see more of that. I don't, I don't ask the question why we don't see more of the book of Acts. I don't, that's actually the wrong question to ask. Why don't we see more of the book of Acts? Well, it's a very easy. We're not the early church, so we didn't live the life of Acts. That, that was the first century church. And each congregation was different. And don't, don't, in your mind, please, don't glamorize the book of Acts like that was the best church. Just read 1 Corinthians, and you will find out that the first church was just as jacked up as the church of today. That that's not, or the church, you can read the book of Ephesians and go, oh, I want to be that church. And we go, yes. And then 30 years later, Jesus writes him a note and says, what happened to you guys? He used to be so good. And now you, you, you've left your first love. So we're not going to glamorize the book of Acts at all. But we will celebrate their victories because they have the same gospel, the same, and, and in some ways, they don't even have as much of the revealed text that we do have, have today, but they have the same Holy Spirit what might be missing is they don't have the same comfort and ease that you and I have or the same accessibility to uh, the comfort and ease of this world. But in many ways, we have more than they have. We have all this technology. I mean, as bad as it is and bad as it can be, technology can rapidly distribute the gospel in a powerful way. Uh, it, it can make us in more than one place at one time in the physical realm, where prayer takes us spiritually somewhere, man, we could get to Cork Island. We could, we could literally wake uh, Brandon and Ernie up right now by sending a text, and I don't know how it gets there so stinking fast, but by the time I hit send, so they go, oh, who is that? Pastor Ed, what does he want? And like, what time is it? Oh, it's probably church. Go back to sleep. And then we're just going to slam text them, and all of us will text them. <laughs> and they go, what are all these numbers? What's lacking could be the, the passion that they had and the commitment that they had. And you just have to read through the book of Acts and ask yourself, what, what is it? Well, it? It's not, why can't we be like the church in the first century? It's, Lord, what, what is it that you want to do so that you can use us in our century? And what do you want to do right now that would mark this particular fellowship family, just this little small piece of the body of Christ that we know as Calvary Aurora, but it wouldn't really matter what we call the church. It wouldn't matter what's on the side of the building. It wouldn't even matter if we were in this building. We're still the church. We'll always be the church wherever we gather. But man, don't you sense there's so much more available to you? Don't you sense that there's so much more available to us? Don't you sense and don't you believe that to whom much is given, much is required? Haven't you come to the place yet in your life where you go, you know, I just, I don't have time for these frivolous things for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I got enough frivolous things in my own life. I don't have time for these small desires, these things that are just robbing me of my passion, robbing me of my desire, putting shame and guilt in my life. Like, you could say that for sin. 
Like you, you're looking at, how, well, I, you know, I have liberty yet and I have freedom and I can do things. And I say, yes, you do. Amen. You know the sun and the sun has set you free. You have liberty. But you're going to wake up one day and you're going to find out, you know, that liberty is not good for me. It doesn't make me more holy. It doesn't make me more passionate. It doesn't make me more of a missionary. I'm not on mission with God when I exercise that liberty. And the Holy Spirit will tell you, you don't need that in your life. You just don't need that. Not because some pastor gave you a list and go, oh, this is bad and what a bad Christian. It has nothing to do about being good or bad. It has everything to do with being useful. 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 And submitting ourselves to the potter. The potter that has the clay on the wheel. And the Bible says when Jeremiah went into the potter's house, he has the clay on the wheel. And it says that the, that, and, and you know, if we were in there watching it, some master potter uh, and, and putting it together. And, and there it is. It's beautiful. Like, kind of like when we have a potter's field ministry here. It's just amazing what that man can do with a lump of clay. It's just a lump of clay. And it just fascinates me what a talented man he is. And, and as he's putting it together and he builds it up and then all of a sudden, bam, it's just completely destroyed. And, and, and some services, uh, and when he's here, when it's destroyed, there's, a vi- there's an audible gasp in the room that says, oh my goodness, I've just been watching this guy for 40 minutes and everything he did for 40 minutes is destroyed. But he's an expert. He knew exactly what he was going to do all along. He, the, for you seeing it for the first time, you don't know what he's doing, but he totally knows at 40 minutes and 22 seconds that he's going to ruin the work. He knows already. He knew that before he even got on the stage. And he knew that he's going to build something up of that messed up clay in like two minutes because it really didn't take him 40 minutes. He just did that so he could talk. And so, he could, so his wife could sing some songs and share their testimony and draw you to the gospel. But he could do whatever he wants in five minutes if he wanted to. He's the potter. And none of us out here can say, hey, you can't do that to the clay. That's wrong. You just wasted. And he's like, no, no, you know, I'm the potter. I'm the potter. The clay doesn't tell me what to do. I tell the clay what to do. And and the Bible says in, in Jeremiah that the clay became marred in the potter's hands. That God in his sovereignty and his providence is doing what he wants with us. And we become soft and submissive to him through the washing of the water of the word. If you watch that really carefully, you know, to soften it up, he'd always pour water on it. Pour water on his arms. He can go all the way down. And then, of course, he builds it up and we all clap. It's beautiful. It's wonderful. And that's the work of God in your life. In the book of Acts... We've got men and women just like you and me on mission with Jesus Christ, a tool in his hands, moving out. And and chapter 13 is the beginning of world missions in the book of Acts. Notice how it starts. In the church that was in Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who's called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, who had been brought up with Herod, the Tetrarch, and Saul. But which all these names, a careful study of all these names, just tell me that the early church in Antioch was a very diverse church. Very diverse, different backgrounds, different skin color. Already, early on, God is doing a work. The mission work of God didn't start in Jerusalem, which is strange to us with the hub of the church, but rather it starts, world mission starts out of Antioch. It says in verse 2, as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I have called them. Then having fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, they sent them away. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia and from there they sailed to Cyprus and there begins the missionary work of the early church to the world. I want you to notice a few things. Number one, the missionary outreach of the church began with God calling and speaking to his people. You could even say this, that the missionary work of God began by God gathering, calling, speaking, and sending his missionaries. It's clearly a move of his spirit. That's our philosophy here. 
just so you know. When it comes to church planting, when it comes to the missionary endeavor of the church, we trust the Holy Spirit to seek, to gather, to call, and to send. And we're just here to help folks, to give them counsel and advice on the practicalities of things and what that might mean. But, but we aren't hand... Some of you might think from where you sit that we handpick these people and say, you really, you must be the missionary of our church. That's not how it works here. We just serve the Lord. We're ministering to the Lord. And, and God speaks, like maybe he'll speak to you right now. And you might come after the service. I think, I think God wants us to, to go on the mission field. And the answer is, man, I'll tell you right now what my answer is going to be. Something like this. Won't be the exact words. We get. Man, that's awesome. We need to pray for you. And I'll pray for him. <laughs> it's pretty much tell me how it goes. It's going to be awesome. And you go, no, no, we need help. And I say, well, talk to JJ. There's some practicalities we can help you with to prepare you, and, and we'll talk to you, and we'll make sure that you've been, you know, rarely does someone go out in the mission field that they haven't served here, like in some context of responsibility, because the, the serving in the church in a very real way is just practice for the real world. It's just practice. It's just, this is a controlled environment where you think, well, what's the significance of teaching Sunday school to the kids? Well, first of all, you're giving the gospel to kids, and God loves that. <laughs> First of all, there's no, you know, well, they're just kids. They're just, they're just little, they're just little half people. They're not little half people. They are whole people that Jesus died for, and they're precious. And he always said, bring the children to me. The disciples said, get the children. No, you bring let the children come unto me, for such is the kingdom of God. And, and so what happens? Well, you've got to learn how to study. You've got to learn how to be here somewhere on time. You've got to learn how to answer Bible questions. You've got to learn how to care for the kids. You've got to remember the kids have parents. Sometimes they have single parents. Maybe they're being raised by their grandparents. Maybe they're in a foster home, and we've got foster parents. I mean, these kids, man, you serve them, and then they are, they, their whole lives touch so many other lives. And, and let me just say this. If you're teaching Sunday school and you don't care about the kids, here in Calvary, stop teaching. Just, just resign right now. Don't, I, we don't want you teaching Sunday school if you don't care about the kids. We'll close all the Sunday school classes and bring your precious kids in here. How would you like that? It will be crazy. Because if you're here after service, you see some of the kids jumping on the chairs and doing backflips. You know, this is, in case you didn't know, under the carpet is concrete. And many of your kids have found that out the hard way. So we have children's ministry for, for the, the sake of creating a, a teaching environment, but also give the gospel at their level because they're just going to be bored, bored like in here. They're just like, when are you going to stop? And you don't want to teach your kids to be bored. You want to teach your kids to be in love with Jesus. But I, I'll tell you this. We, we don't want Sunday school teachers who don't care. We'll close the classes. We don't need Sunday school. We need people that love them. But I'll tell you what, on the flip side, if you do love the kids, you're in the best preparation that you've ever signed up for in your entire life as you put yourself on the front lines to teach kids. God will just do amazing things and reveal things in your heart that you didn't even know were there. He'll show you how to care. Like, you know, that kids don't care. They don't play your games. They don't care how much money you make. They don't care where you live. They don't care what kind of car you drive. I mean, at some age, they probably do because the culture influences them. But for the most part, they don't play your games. They, don't, they, they, just, they can see through all the adult nonsense, and they can tell if you care or not. We might be able to fake it with each other for very long, but with kids, you're not going to fake it for very long. They're going to be able to tell and trust. Uh, I, and, you know, Marie and I have seen this um, very... Um, clearly identified before where it was just pretty obvious uh, that, that, uh, that an individual that we knew just didn't really care for a certain kid. It was just pretty clear. He just didn't care. He just wasn't paying attention to him. It wasn't, and, and we watched the, the kid kind of change his personality over time, kind of change his relationship with this adult. And we knew that the kid could figure it out because he was chewing this big thing of gum and he went over to this guy and he bit him on the leg. And you could just tell, when a kid bites you on the leg, he probably doesn't like you. But as an observant adult, you could see that. See, the early church, they depended upon the Holy Spirit to send men out. They depended upon the Holy Spirit. When we do, th this passage in Acts 13 is also a foundational understanding of why we have afterglow services here. 
If you don't know what an afterglow service, if you're new to Calvary, uh, you're new to a, a freshness or an, open to the Holy, an openness to the Holy Spirit, just go on our website, <clears throat> type in the search bar, afterglow, and we'll explain. It. I, I'd spend a whole service teaching biblically the foundation of having an afterglow or a believer service. It's similar to Acts 13 here, where believers come together. They're ministering to the Lord. They're ministering in a way just, Lord, we love you. We praise you. We're praying. We're singing. And we're also listening. Right now, you're listening for the Holy Spirit through the teaching of his word. That's very foundational. That's why we spend more time teaching God's word here than anything else. Because faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God, and the entirety of the scriptures from Genesis 1 to the end of Revelation is literally inspired by the Holy Spirit and is used to uh, encourage you, to teach you, to correct you, and, and on and on. We're committed to the word of God, and we will be until Jesus returns. But we're also open to the Holy Spirit. We're also open, and through the gift of teaching, God speaks. Have you ever wondered why or how a room full of hundreds of people can hear the exact same Bible study but leave with hundreds of different applications in their lives. You want to know why? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit takes the teaching and maybe the pastor is given an application that's sort of good for you, kind of opens up your mind, but then the Holy Spirit brings it home because there's only one teacher. The Bible says the Holy Spirit is our teacher. And yes, he uses the mouths of human beings to communicate through the gift of teaching. But if you ever learn anything from a Bible study here or there, it's because the Holy Spirit taught you and you received it from the Spirit. So here they are getting together, ministering, and the Holy Spirit speaks. So let me ask you a question. How do you think the Holy Spirit spoke? I believe that he spoke through certain prophets. There was a prophetic word of missionary, of a missionary calling. Uh, a prophetic word to either encourage, to edify, or to comfort. That's what the gift of prophecy is. We learned that in 1 Corinthians. And so, man, here's a, here's a prophetic word. As they're ministering to the Lord, the Holy Spirit spoke, separate to me, Barnabas and Saul. Notice, for the work that I have called them. The missionary call is a call of God. We don't take it upon ourselves. It's a call of God. And here they are called to the mission field and, and the, the, the renewal and revival of the early church happened through prayer and preaching. The emphasis upon prayer and preaching. The early church, they traveled lightly and utterly depended upon the Holy Spirit. But it seems today that the opposite is happening in the church at large where it seems to be a, a, a less of an emphasis upon prayer, more emphasis upon programs. There's less of an emphasis on preaching, just letting the Word of God say what it is. Instead, there's more of an emphasis on some theological background or what some guy said 500 years ago. Instead, this is what the Bible says, so go do it. This is what the Bible says. And the Bible says that the early church gathered together in Antioch, they started ministering to the Lord, and then the Holy Spirit spoke, and they listened. And their response in verse 3 was fasting and praying. <laughs> Man, fasting and praying. It didn't take too long for those living in the first century to experience the power of God through his church. How? Praying and preaching. And then now you can add fasting, ministering to the Lord. But what do we see today? And maybe you don't see this, maybe you do. I lay it out for you because I have a responsibility to do that. From where I sit, the world that I live in, you know, when you guys, you guys go to work tomorrow on Thursday, I'm going to go to work tomorrow on Thursday as well. It's my study day, so I'm just totally slammed all day praying and studying. It's most emphasis during the week is on Thursdays. You can pray for me on Thursdays. It's the most important day of my week. But you're going to go to work and you're going to go through and you're going to, you, you are all in the world different places, working different places, so you're experts in different things and you're going to learn more and maybe your work's going to send you to a seminar and you're going to learn more about what's going on in the world of your business and what's going on in the world of where you work and, and, and so do I. I. I do the same thing. So I live in the world of the church. So I'm always studying and listening and reading uh, of things that I can stomach of what's going on in the church. And let me tell you what's going on in the church. Let me tell you the great emphasis in this now 21st century of going on in the church. The, the, the church today seems to be so afraid or so hypersensitive and wanting to fit in our culture. 
wanting to find its place in our culture, wanting to find ways to be relatable and relevant and being hip and cool in our culture. And that emphasis for many has taught people uh, and has led the leaders in churches so much that we've forgotten what it means to stand for what is true in the spirit of God. Trying to make some, trying to make the church fit in a culture where it will never fit. Let me tell you this, friends. Mark this and just keep it in the back of your mind. If you ever find a church that fits in the culture, they have ceased to be the true church of Jesus Christ. Does that make sense to you? You find a church that just seems to be so acceptable in the culture, so hip with whatever the new thing is, so welcomed. Oh, we just want you in everything, and we want to hear your voice, and we want to have... If you find a church, and I don't just mean a local congregation, but if the church ever fits into the culture, they've really ceased being the church. Because the end result of of the leader, our leader, the end result of our leader in the church... The reward for his love and his care and his commitment and laying his life on the line was crucifixion. That was the end result. Jesus was completely countercultural in his message. But in his love, he was completely relational. The, relate, the relatability and the relevance... You know, that just always seems like the church is 10 steps behind the world. We can never keep up with the world. We can never drop a billion dollars into making a movie like the world does. We don't have, you, you, no church would ever be able to drop $500 million to produce a movie that would then bring back a billion dollars like the world does. The world drops $500 million like, like it was yesterday's change. Like we're putting change in a bottle. They're dropping hundreds of thousands of dollars on influencing the culture because they can make a buck. We're not interested in making a buck. We're interested in seeing people's lives saved. So what do we drop in a bucket like that? Our time, our attention, our lives to submit to the Lord in sacrifice in order to be used by him to reach the lost. And it just seems like the church is always a step behind the culture so that by by the time they think they look hip, they look like they're from the 80s. The 80s is not hip in the year 2000. What year are we in? 17? 2017. See, I don't even know what year we're in. So how do I know what to be relevant and hip and cool? I'm not, I'm not advocating that we, you know, that, that we don't understand that we need to reach our culture with the tools of the culture, speak the culture's language. I'm all for that. But forget all that nonsense. How are we going to reach the culture? We're going to pray. And we're going to minister to the Lord. And we're going to be vessels of the Holy Spirit. And when God speaks... We're going to pray and fast, and then we're going to obey. And God works still today. He still speaks today. He still leads today. He still encourages today. And I don't want to be afraid of trying to fit in or relate, but I also don't want to make enemies on purpose. You know? So the other, side of the, uh, the other side of the extreme is, is not that the gospel is offensive, but it seems like people in the church want to be overly offensive themselves. And I don't think you're going to run anyone being offensive yourself. Uh, you're, you're gonna have, your, your message is already going to be hard to receive. You don't have to be hard to receive. So how do you do that? You do that through very practical acts of love. You don't have to be overly... You don't, I remember the very first time I took my kids and my family to the Harvest Crusades with Great Glory when we were living in Southern California. My kids were still young, little. And, and it was the first time I ever... We, got, we parked the car, and as we're walking into the stadium, these guys with these big signs and bullhorns are screaming at my kids. And I'm just like, I wanted to go over and hug them. They were so encouraging to me. They weren't. They're not going to win anyone over like that, slamming me with a sign and yelling at me with a bullhorn. If they have a message, then, then the message should be delivered in a way that it will be received. And then at least we, if we don't agree, we can disagree agreeably. But the gospel, the gospel, the message is hard to receive. But we don't have to go around with big signs and bullhorns screaming at people. We want to be, we want to see the message palatable. And you know, we want to build a, uh, we want to build a bridge with someone. But remember this, when you're, when you're building bridges with someone, you're building bridges for two reasons. One, you're building a bridge so that you can get to their side. But never forget this. The whole purpose of getting to their side is to bring them back with you. That's the whole purpose. 
So the early church wasn't into programs and methods and and sometimes we, we hear all these statistics and we hear all these things that you're like, you know what, I don't care what the statistics say. People are people. And Jesus Christ died for people. He died for people in the first century and he died for people in the 21st century. And I believe if we pray and seek the Lord, he'll use us to reach the people he wants us to reach. And I, I hope that encourages you in your own life because you might feel like, well, you know, I'm not very relatable and uh, my kids don't understand me or my neighbors don't. Listen, you pray and fast and God will make you relatable. And he'll use you just as you are. Instead of the world turning the, uh, excuse me, instead of the church turning the world upside down, it's concerning that the world turns the church upside down and that's not going to work. The early church was dependent upon the Holy Spirit. And they didn't depend on methods and methodologies that the world taught them how. They weren't asking the Romans how to reach the Romans. They were asking the Lord. That They weren't asking the Greeks. They didn't, ask a, they didn't put out a survey or get the latest book from Antioch and say, well, how can we reach the people of Antioch? They prayed. They fasted. God said, I'll tell you, who's, I'll tell you what I want to do. Paul and Barnabas, you've got to send them out. You've got to send them out, which also tells me that there are many times when you'll see in our church some of the best, most fruitful people have to leave. Which you're like, wait a minute, we want to keep them. We love them so much. They're great. They poured in my life. They've spent all these years praying with me, and then we see them up on the stage and we're praying for them. Well, you know, so-and-so's going over here, and so-and-so's going to take off over here, and you're like, no. And I'm saying, yes, because the Lord will raise somebody else up. And then they'll be the, the people that we love so much, and then they'll go. And that, so can you imagine how it must have felt? Paul, Paul and Barnabas, no. You know, they're kind of opposites, but no, we want them. Paul's so smart, and Barnabas is so kind, no. But that's not what they did. They prayed and fasted, and they said, go. Go. And I find a lot of the work of the church is hindered by trying to hold on instead of letting go. Instead of saying yes to the call of God, we find where people are saying no. And even the leaders. And I, I didn't understand this until God changed. And I mean, I did understand it. It's kind of like when you learn things. Like, I, I, understand, I understood it mentally. But I didn't understand the kind of hurt. You know, not, not hurt like you've been hurt by somebody. But like, you know, it hurts to see good people leave. Like, man, I enjoyed fellowship with that brother. I enjoyed watching their kids run around or whatever it might be. That kind of hurt. And, and, and watching good people go over the years. And, and it's just like, you know, when you start in, it's kind of like marriage, man. When you start in ministry, you think you're going to serve together forever. Uh, and, and sometimes, unlike marriage, it's not like a divorce, but it is like, hey, you are going to serve with them, but they're just going to be 2,000 miles away. And now you're going to be texting them instead of hugging them. You're going to hug them through text and find the emoji for hug, whatever that looks like. I'm sure there is one. Because now when I do texting, if I just say the word, it pops up something for me of what the emoji is. And I'm not sure sometimes what they are, but let's come back to the Holy Spirit. Not texting. Stop texting during service. We don't want to hold anybody back. And when our vision changed many years ago to when disciples send, I didn't know how painful it would, it would be the sending part. And how painful it would be just people coming and going through the church. Because you would think, you know, our natural thing is if we're part of a family, would you just stick around forever? And some of you will stick around forever. Some, we still have families with us that have been with us from the beginning. And we have families with us that were here before I was even here. And that's beautiful and that's wonderful. Uh, and yet there are other times where people just move on. They move on. God's calling them somewhere else or they're out in the mission field. And, and we just need to bless them and encourage them and, and watch what God's going to do through their lives. That's what's happening here. They're sending their best. They're sending their best. And as a church, you have to be willing to send your best. Otherwise, you need to go back to praying and fasting so God can change your heart. You need to be willing to send your best so that God can do what he wants to do. Our personal mission is to follow the Lord and being sent out, verse 4, being sent out. Because the word of God, the spirit of God is working through the word of God in the people of God. That's how the church moves forward. And so think on these things as you pray for the missionaries, as you think of the countries, 
as you consider what God wants to do in your life, how he wants to accomplish your work in a very real way. You are moving out in just a few minutes. We're going to leave and you're going to be moving out into the mission field. You're going to be moving out into your mission field and the people that you can reach. I know sometimes, I'll end with this, sometimes you feel like if I could just get a pastor to talk to them, they'll really understand. If I could just have Pastor Ed, I could just have Pastor JJ, if I could just have Pastor Aaron, if I could just have Pastor Matt, if I could just have Pastor Jason, whoever it might be, if I could just have them talk to my friend, then they'd really get it. And if I could just, if I could just get them in, and, and, and the reality is, is that that's not, that's not always true. Because once you mention a pastor, nobody wants to talk to a pastor. You know, if you find out, if you're, past, you're sharing the gospel with someone, and they're not getting it from you, and you're kind of think, well, I'm going to bring Pastor Ed. So you tell your friend, I think I'm, you should talk to my pastor. A switch flips on in people's minds when you mention pastor to them. And they may come, first of all, many people don't want to talk to pastors. But secondly, they may come, and if, if the pastor switch gets flipped in the back of their mind, then they're just going to come to argue like crazy. That's all they want to do is argue. Do you know how, if, here, I'll listen to you, pastor, if you will tell me how many angels will fit on the top of a ballpoint pen. Or can God make a rock so big that he's not able to move it. And you're like, man, God can make a rock so big that can roll over your head. <laughs> Let's talk about that. But so they, pastor, you know, the pastor thing isn't always the solution. God put you in their life. God's given you influence. You've been there when you had to work at the project together and, and you guys had to put in the late hours. You were there that brought the special coffee. You were there that brought donuts that morning. You were there when you helped them with that, that situation. You're there when they're bringing pictures of their kids. You have so much influence that you may lack a little bit of knowledge, but if you pray and fast, you will come to the conclusion that God sent you there. You're a missionary at work. You're a missionary at home. You're raising the next generation of little kids you the whole thing with your little kids right now you will have little kids at home you moms and dads that you dads might be home the whole thing about your kids right now is not that they learn their abcs and not that they know one plus one equals two and not that they understand the geography of the world you have one goal and one goal only and that's lead those kids to the lord jesus christ and watch them be born again right before your very eyes that's your goal that's your mission Now, if your kids are born again and think one plus one equals three, I'm cool with that. The world might not be cool with that. You may not be cool with that, but they'll get it eventually. You'll get it eventually. And maybe we can help. I'm not saying we can't help. But I'll tell you, with the people in your life right now, you are far more qualified to reach them than I am. I have a place you have a place, we have a place, and we are on God's mission. When you're praying for these missionaries, you're thinking and you're putting money in that, that jug out there, I want you to think of the kid that's going to get dental work in the Philippines. Why is it so important to go look for all that change? It's not because we're trying to fill buckets. And it's not because we need your money. We don't need your money, and we don't need your change. God has been gracious to our church, and whatever money we, ever, we collect in that bucket, we could easily write a check for as a church. And we do send money. We write checks to missionaries all the time. You're so gracious in your tithes and offerings. God's been so gracious with us as a leadership team and some of the business decisions we've made as an elder board where God has been so gracious. We don't need a bunch of pennies to go break Ian's back, to take him to the bank, to pour him in. They go, Ed, why are you asking? I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why we'd ask anytime we ask. It's because we want you to share in the joy and the blessing of what's going on in the Philippines. That's it. We just want you to share. We want you to participate we're always trying to find ways that you can participate. 
So we get a little coloring sheet with your kids. We put buckets out for change. We ask you to sign up for prayer requests and email lists. We put prayer up on the, we put videos up. We're just wanting, because when you start to experience the blessings and the joy of ministry, you will not go back. When you start to understand that just sitting in a chair, listening to a Bible study is actually not God's will for your life. It's so much more God's will for your life. So why do we ask you to go through? I mean, even me, I would have never thought to bring that change in that's in my desk, that's still in my desk. I haven't brought it in yet. I have all the month. I have all month, right? So I actually was feeling a little guilty, so I took a dollar bill and put it in. I'm like, I'm going to put a dollar in every time I hear until I bring that dumb change in. But I want to participate. When I come up with the, when, when Ian, Pastor Ian comes up and says, Not, this is what we raised, and this is what we did with it. Here's the pictures of the kids. Check it out. I just want to feel, you know what? I was a part of that. Personally, I'm just telling you my heart right now. I'm just, I want to be a part of that. I wanted to go on that trip so bad. I haven't been able to go out to the Philippines. I mean, every single trip we're doing this year, I've wanted to go on. I just can't. Ukraine, I want to go see Philippines, uh, Israel, all of it. I just can't. I can't. There's too much on my plate. I can't do it. But I can because I can give to the Philippine trip. I can support the people that are going on that. I can pray. I can send Ernie and Brandon a text or an email when I, um, when I get home tonight. I can, I can be excited with the burritos downstairs and buy a kid a burrito that, that is going to support the... I mean, I can't. And, and that's why we ask. We're not, we're not interested in digging into your pockets for your money. Your money is between you and the Lord, and actually it's not your money. Maybe we should do another Bible study on that all together. It's not your money at all. Your money, not my money, God's money. If I'm a believer in Jesus Christ, it's his money. It's not my money. It's not your money. But we're not, we're not a church like that. If you're new to Calvary, I'm not. I'm, if you don't want to give, don't give. That's between you and the Lord. You'd suffer the consequences of your not giving. I mean... I'm not telling you not to give. Like, well, Pastor Ed said I can't because, I mean, I'm not telling you to do something. One time I said this and somebody emailed me. and go, I can't believe you said that. That's so unbiblical, Ed. And, and they just misunderstood me. I'm telling you this. It is God's will for us to give. Tithes and, and offerings, yes, it is God's will for us to give. So obey God. But I'll tell you this. If, if you think, well, you know, I don't think that church needs anything. I don't want to give. Well, then don't give. But when we come up and share the benefits of everything that's going on, when we come up and share the fruit of it, what are you going to sit there? How can you rejoice? You didn't want to be a part of it. You said, oh, I don't want to give my change. I'm going to give my change to, well, great. Well, then whoever you give your change to, rejoice with whatever God's doing and through them. But if you want to be a part of what your church is doing, you want to be a part of your own church family, you want to be stirred up, then for, by all means, pray about all the opportunities. Let the Lord tell you which one and do it. Because then when you come up, you go, you know what? You know what? That's our church. That's our church. That's our church. That's our church. I said I was going to end there, didn't I? All right, I'm already over. And I'm going to keep my word. No, I'm going to keep my word. Lord, um, I, I thank you for, uh, for the... The reality of just this little excursion on missions and, and how the early church was missions and, and, and what your heart is on missions, Lord. And um, Please, God, stir us up. What more can we ask than just to bring back a holy passion in our lives? We're praying, God, please honor our prayer. I'm so grateful uh, as, the, uh, as, as um, when we started praying, God, you, you saw it yourself. You knew it before we did, how the attendance on Wednesday just went down to almost nothing. But then there was a, a group of people, there was a remnant, including the junior hires coming downstairs praying with us, a remnant, that were saying, no, we're going to pray. doesn't matter how I feel. We're going we're to focus our prayer together. And then, and then slowly but surely, more people are coming, more people are praying. And that's what we want on Wednesdays, Lord. We, don't, we, don't want, we, we want to do what Acts 2.42 did. They came together. Uh, we want to do it practically. They prayed together. They had communion together. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, and they fellowship together. And so, God, we want that. That's what you made our Wednesday night service into, and I'm so grateful for that. And I thank you for the 10 minutes of focused prayer tonight. Thank you for the people that are growing in prayer. Thank you, God, that, like Will Graham said, we could do so much more. We could do so much more if we would just bend our knees.
And I pray, God, for this little thing. I didn't plan on it, but this little thing of giving, this little thing of giving. Because this church, I'm so grateful for this fellowship. I've never seen another church so generous like this. And you know, God, I have a lot of friends, a lot of pastor friends that don't experience the generosity that this church experiences. So bless your people, Lord. Bless their giving hearts. Bless them at their jobs. Give them raises, Lord. Entrust them with more. Give them a promotion, Lord. Give them another job that can make even more. Do what you need to do. Help them to discipline in their giving, in their, in their eating out, or help them to discipline on, on how they do stuff, Lord, so they can have more to give. Your word says that we're to, eat, to work to eat, but also to work to give. And, and so thank you, God, that we minister to you. You'll say, separate to me, Paul and Barnabas, for the work of the ministry. And um, thank you for the dozens and dozens and literally hundreds of people that over the years you've separated and sent out. We pray for more, Lord. Give us our city, God. I don't want, I, I know, my, even in my heart, Lord, I don't want to grow a church. I don't want to, to do things just to grow the church. I don't have any control whether you grow the church or not. I just want to see people saved. Lives changed. I want to see sober people. I want to see them sitting here with their kids. I want to see a marriage restored. I want to see sobriety. I want to see leaving, uh, you know, the past behind. I mean, I want to see broken hearts healed, Lord. I want to see grieving hearts growing in hope. I want, I want to see healing, Lord, physical healings. I want to see, God, you do the miraculous in our, in our midst. And I, I want to not just see it. I want to be a part of it. I don't want to just be a cultural church trying to establish, you know, trying to be what it was in the past. And, and we got to do, I want to see what do you have in the future? We forget those things that are behind and we press forward to what's up ahead. And so God, we're committed for you to, by your Holy Spirit, use the word of God through the people of God to reach this city. And that's our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. We pray that you've been touched by this study from Calvary Aurora. For prayer or a copy of this study, call area code 303-628-7200. Be blessed this week in the Lord.